Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from Cat Swamp Road over here in New Jersey, Warren County, New Jersey. Cloudy, damp Warren County, New Jersey. We had a little bit of snow the other day. I'd say probably uh, maybe two to three inches on the grassy areas. I hate to say grassy areas because that's something you live in the city, right? Though it's on the grass, but uh, anywhere there was green, I'll say that over my cover crop, my lawn, but only maybe a quarter of an inch on the driveway. We have a concrete driveway to our house and then to the my parents' farmhouse. It's gravel. And then, uh, but the interesting thing is that uh, the road, Cat Swamp Road, which is macadam, which is dark colored, right, and obviously has more traffic on it at five o'clock in the morning than my driveway does. Well, it really, it's, it's not a busy road, but I mean, in essence, but somebody may ride by, that the, the road had more snow on it than my driveway. And you would tend to think that my driveway would be... Um, have would be colder than than the road so next time that happens i have to go out there with the infrared gun with a non-contact thermometer and take some temperature readings because i don't understand that and it's happened many many times you'd say okay that the uh the driveway has a, nothing on it and they go go crown the driveway onto the road and the road is white so there's some kind of dynamics going on there i mean the driveway is not that long it's only maybe 150 feet long so it's not like you're saying, well, it's a quarter of a mile long. I wish it was, but uh, except when I have to plow it, I would, I'm glad it's not a quarter of a mile, but I wouldn't mind being a quarter of a mile into off the road. But not too bad yet, considering it's New Jersey, thank God. But uh, let me see what else is going on. Oh, if you didn't know it already, the my um, what to buy the hot rod farmer in your life Christmas gift guide is up both the podcast and the article version. So uh, check that out, please. And don't forget to go back into the archives and look at the ones for 2018, 19, and 20. Last, and I think in last show, last, last week's show, I kind of messed up and I said that there was five guides. And it's not five, this is the fourth one because I only started this, this journey and it's been a journey in 2018 in October. So this would be the fourth Christmas and third year of doing the podcast so that is up there and uh on the buyer's guide obviously there's pictures there's a description of each tool or piece of equipment and what i did this year is i took a little bit more from the each company's website because i figured you know they know their they know their tool the best i wasn't you know i wasn't going to make it gone with the wind and for me to uh to interject my own my own thoughts into that i felt that wasn't going to be right i would do i did i did that in a podcast <laughs> so you know me i have to interject my own thoughts but check that out and let me know how you like it and also while you are on the website now i know a lot of a lot of people who listen to idle chatter don't go to my website I mean, which is disappointing to me because that's like having the bacon without the eggs. There's so much information on, I'm saying it humbly. There's about a hundred technical articles. There's the toolbox test, which I didn't make a new one yet. There's my blog, Flags Across the Harvest. There's pictures of people's equipment and cars and tractors up there. And there's so there's other elements of it. And if you listen from one of the podcast sites, then that's great. I, I'm, I'm, I'm full. I really appreciate that. But then also go to the website uh, so you could see the articles. And in this particular instance, you would have to go to the website if you wanted to see the article on the Christmas Buyer's Guide. And as I started to say, and I sidetracked myself, is that I um, have a picture of each item up there. I have a description, as I said, which I stole, <laughs> stole from the company's website. And then I have a link to the company's website. So the, uh, whatever company that is who made that product. So uh, I try to make it the best resource I possibly can. And I know in the past, a number of people have reached out to me and they said they have used it as a guide and bought something either for themselves or the hot rod farmer in their life. And I, uh, it worked out pretty well for him. So, so just, just a suggestion, just a thought. 
but I think you know, I think I didn't mess up in that show also. I was still suffering from some vertigo, but uh, I think I said, what to buy the hot rod farmer for Christmas, which I said to myself, oh my God, after I heard it, after Susan posted it and I listened to it, I said, did I really say that? It looks like I'm implying that you buy me something. I didn't mean that whatsoever. I meant to buy the hot rod farmer in your life, not, not to buy me. So if you'd gotten that wrong impression, please forgive me. That certainly was not my intent. Alrighty, so that is that. And then also, uh, while you're there, and I started to say, and I sidetracked myself again, which I'm famous for, is um, check out the radio show, Farm Machinery Digest Radio, because we're posting the back episode. Susan Moore is posting the back episode starting from July 31st, and then moving forward on the website. And it's the full episode, as you would hear on SiriusXM Radio. So it's got the commercials in it and everything. It's not where it's just, it's the whole 30-minute show. And the reason why... I did that as I wanted you to get the full S Sirius XM rural radio experience, but I also wanted to support those on rural radio. Excuse me, because um, I, I would have a sponsor on there, for instance, like uh, Bayer is running a spot, a company called ROI um, Biologicals is running a spot. A uh, There was another company, I forget, sadly, uh, uh, I forgot what their name is, but they, they're online retail of agricultural chemicals. So forgive me for giving uh, f- or forgetting their name at this moment. Uh, lots of times when I do the show, my I concentrate on talking, so my mind goes goes off the off the cliff here. But but I want you to be exposed to those those companies. I want to give them exposure. And I also want to expose you to the other ads on Sirius XM Channel 147 Rural Radio. So in case you have Sirius XM, uh, either an app or it's in one of your vehicles, your farm equipment, you can say, hey, I, I want to listen to that show. I want to listen, you know, I, I want to listen to Molly B, the polka party. So what would have you? So I just think it's a better experience instead of just having me. So it doesn't sound like a podcast. It sounds like a radio show, but check it out it's 24 minutes long and six minutes worth of commercials so uh but they call them breaks you don't call them commercials right so that is that and uh what i'm going to do today is going to be a little bit different but i need to give you a little bit of a segue into it and i think on last week's show the week before before i did a uh, episode of idle chatter with letters i think it was two weeks back but anyway and then Mr. Gary Harrier from Michigan, he had written a note to me about his John Deere 318 uh, lawn tractor, which was hard starting on the initial start. So that's what the, and that was one of the letters that I answered in that show. That show, if you go back into the archives, was three letters. It was, yeah, I believe, was Mr. Harrier with the John Deere 318, a gentleman with a new Ford expedition echo boost engine that uh was had experience of swing in fuel economy and i think that there was someone with a gleaner combine that was uh asking me about a harmonic balance so i may be wrong but anyway but definitely mr harry was there so now that's so i i used i used that show as a extended response to these three people and i like to do that once in a while i like to do it all the time but uh but once in a while because Oftentimes, you can't give somebody a a real in-detail explanation. And the purpose of this show and my website and the, and the radio show on SXM is to have a transfer of knowledge. And that's and I say this all the time, it's a transfer of knowledge. It's, it's for education, it's to transfer, transfer knowledge. And transfer knowledge not only from me to you, which sounds pompous, but it does, I don't mean it that way, but to transfer knowledge from my audience to me. So which in turn, I can now transfer that knowledge that they have given me only because I happen to be blessed with the microphone for no other reason. But I got the megaphone and they don't. So it's a transfer of knowledge both ways. And uh, what had happened to that point is that I have a long time listener and I always, uh, I've communicated with him many times and he's a first class individual and even though we never spoke it just it just comes through his his emails and a very very knowledgeable man very knowledgeable mechanic 
uh, now an excellent fabricator, eclectic background. I believe he worked in the auto repair industry. I believe he worked with heavy equipment. I believe he worked in the collision repair industry. So just comes to the table with a wealth of knowledge. And though we've never physically spoken on the phone, so I always, I have to to ask him one time to phonetically pronounce his last name. But his first name is Bruce. And I'm hopefully, I am not going to kill it again as I do. And I pronounce it Jack Uborkus, Borskus. All right. So we're going to call him just Bruce. So Bruce, if you're listening, and he's a long time listener of Idle of Idle Chatter, which I greatly, greatly appreciate. And I hold him in the highest esteem. So what happened was that, you know, as a transfer of knowledge, Bruce wrote me a letter and he listened to that show and he had uh, some different thoughts on what I said to to Gary harrier with the john deere 318 lawn tractor so that is going to be the 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 impetus or the for today's show and what i'm going to do is i'm going to i'm going to go through his letter share his letter with you and then um we're going to uh i'm not then what i'm going to basically do is elaborate on uh his thoughts because what had happened was that bruce's letter has caused as was the catalyst for me to have some critical thinking about ethanol and gasoline in small engines. And so we're going to discuss that, but there's a couple other points that he brought out in this letter as far as that John Deere 318 lawn tractor is concerned. So that is uh, that is what we're going to, uh, to, to talk about today. So what I will basically do is I'm going to start with his letter, and I'll read it in its entirety, so it's full disclosure. So, all right, so he goes, Hi, Ray. Sorry to hear that you were sick, and I am glad that you are getting better. I have some thoughts about a recent episode regarding the John Deere 318. I'm pretty sure that it has a Kohler twin-cylinder flathead and a carb with a float bowl, not a top cover. Even if it is an Onan, they are very similar. And to just stop letting, I believe it was an Onan, and I may have said Kohler. I may have found that out later on, but that was my my mess up. All right. So he so he goes on to say <clears throat> that the valves are adjust. I had suggested that Gary check the valve lash for the hard starting, and we'll get into that. I'll we'll get into that after I read Bruce's letter. The valves are adjusted by grinding the stems, so the heads and valve valves have to be removed for adjustment. Usually the valve face wears, which tightens up the gap. Still a good idea to check the lash, but not a simple adjustment. With the float bolt carb, all you can see is the float level, not the fuel level. Regarding alcohol in the fuel, I have to respectfully disagree with your position that it is fine for small engines. So just to stop for a second is that, and I will elaborate upon this as we go on, is that I never, that I kind of poo-poo the idea of of ethanol-based gasoline affecting small engines. So Bruce disagrees with that. He says, I, I agree that it isn't a horror show it was 35 years ago when the fuel lines and diaphragms turned to mush. Some carb, carb parts are still prone to premature failure. Your example of cutting four acres of grass and using up the fuel quickly is not all-encompassing. And what I had basically had said there, and I didn't explain myself well, is that I was referencing using a fuel stabilizer. So I wasn't referencing, so that was my fault for giving Bruce and possibly Gary and, pro- and possibly the whole audience the wrong impression. So I so I was referencing a fuel stabilizer, uh, saying, well, you know, you don't have to stabilize the fuel because if you use it upright, you don't have to stabilize it. But I was not referencing any ethanol in the gas. I was, I was refer- referencing that but how would he supposed to know that if i didn't say it so he so he bruce goes on and says i purchased two new steel chainsaws and had to replace both fuel pump metering diaphragms within two years because the alcohol relaxed the diaphragms to the point where they could no longer pump fuel i thought pump gas was okay for newer engines but i was wrong the saws get seasonal use meaning gas remains in contact with the diaphragms all summer since replacing the diaphragms i have used ethanol free gas for the last 10 years with no issues i too will not pay 20 dollars per gallon for ethanol free gas from the mower shop 
I found a small local airport where I buy ethanol-free gas, not aviation gas, for just under double the pump gas price. I am willing to pay the extra because all of my small engines run trouble-free. I have five two-cycle and four four-cycle engines that do not miss the ethanol at all. Please keep up the good work and continue sharing your vast wealth of knowledge with us. We appreciate respectfully Bruce Jack Ubarkas, and I probably killed your name again. All right, so that was Bruce's letter to me. And Bruce's letter, as I said, was the catalyst, was the impetus for me to rethink my my uh, feelings on ethanol enhanced gas and small engines but i want to back up here for a minute that and this is not an excuse because i'm not an excuse guy so that's not my story you know hey you know i'll take it right on the chin but i do have to say is that that doing a podcast and a radio show is quite a bit different than than doing an in-person seminar and for many years i've i have taught or given or delivered whatever term you want to use in personal seminars to both the auto industry and the agricultural community and even on the commodity classic on the main stage i've done that and what's great about it an in-person seminar or talk or workshop whatever you want to call it and for many years for 13 years i taught for axel digital fuel injection uh their dealer network so it was called the emic program engine management installation program and like i said a oscilloscope company snap on whatever i'm not going to go through all that all right but i had a lot of a lot of ex, a lot of exposure i don't want to say experience but exposure with doing an in-person seminar and what's what's really great which is bad with a radio show or a podcast was well, a podcast it's a radio show over the internet no different so is that you i'm talking to myself I, my goal is to talk to you, but I can't see you. I, I, I can't see your facial expressions. And if you're a good instructor and you're giving a seminar, is that what you need to do is you need to read your audience because you may say something, me, the instructor, say something and not deliver it properly, or I thought I delivered it properly, but then I look and half the have to attendees have a gazed look on their face then i know i have to stop right there and back up and say okay fine from reading your facial expression that this i did not explain this properly or i chose the wrong words or even misspoke so you have that opportunity plus you have that opportunity whenever i do a seminar is to have a dialogue with the audience i don't want to say audience with the attendees all right have a dialogue with them you know raise your hand and say okay fine we have a problem you know i don't understand that or i challenge this or what have you and that's how we all learn because we could all learn from one another so when i'm doing the show i do my best to try to deliver it as if you are right in front of me but when i start to go off track and i feel i probably and i feel i did go off track because i have the highest respect for bruce's knowledge and he was brave enough to write me a letter all right and to disagree with me which is fantastic which i which is which is great because as i say it's an exchange of knowledge and i do not have you know a, a stronghold on anything uh there's other people who know know more than i do all right so then probably most people know more than i do so that is great that he took this opportunity to write this to me and so i wanted to dedicate this episode of idle chatter because i feel that maybe i didn't do a good job and i didn't explain things properly so what i'm going to do is bruce i'm going to ask you to forgive me but i'm going to use your letter as a reference point for this and i'm going to go through piece by piece now first of all i'm going to start with a story that has nothing to do with me you know i like to tell stories. you know i love stories i was always a from a little kid reading magazines car magazines popular mechanics mechanics illustrator farm journal whatever we got i was reading i I didn't i wasn't a newspaper reader but i I was certainly never owned a comic book in my life but i was always reading 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 all right and the thing and the thing i remember back in the early 80s of reading uh article in car and driver magazine and what it was is that one of the editors from Car and Driver went to go work at the, they spent the day at the GM assembly plant in Norwood, Ohio. And GM had two plants 
I believe, at least two plants at that time that built the F body, the Firebird and Camaro. There was Norwood, Ohio, and there was a plant in California that right now, I think Fremont, California, may have been uh, outside of Los Angeles, but it, it maybe wasn't Fremont, but it was there was a plant in California that built the F bodies at the time. And back prior to that, there may have been a third one, but I don't, that wasn't the focus of this article. So what happened was that this, this, car and driver editor i don't remember who it was was work was his his assignment for that day was to to work on the assembly line at this norwood ohio gm plant building f bodies it was in the early 80s so it was a third generation f body and and then write an article about the experience of working at some plant. I mean, subsequently, they did the same thing when the Fiero came out in 1984. But, but anyway, so now that you have that foundation, what what he wrote about was that that on the at that assembly plant, they had an issue, and they had an issue, and there were cars coming off the assembly line with the left front fender scratched. It wasn't scratched terribly, but it was scratched enough that it had to do some buffing or something on it in the uh, in the uh, in the repair area. Which is every auto assembly plant has that. People think that like the Japanese, you, know, you go to a Japanese plant, there's just as much cause to come to fix at the end of the line as they do in any other plant. But anyway, I won't go there. So the thing is that, and they have an area for they don't call it the repair area. They have some politically correct name for it so anyway so what happened was that you know in the auto assembly plants even back then they were able to track everything and what they determined what they determined was that at a certain time of day the cars were getting scratched and then after a certain hour off the production line they were no longer getting scratched so they were driving themselves crazy what's happening in the morning what's happening and i believe it was in the morning and what's happening in the morning what's happening up until this particular time whatsoever that the cause that this left front fender is getting scratched and like i said it wasn't a terrible scratch but it wasn't a, it, it should not have been there and they needed to correct it so the, you know, and then often you know when you get a bunch of engineers lots of times you overthink stuff because these guys forget about it so <laughs> So anyway, you know, they, and I mean, that's good in a way, but sometimes you overthink it. And that's why I like to use the KISS acronym, keep it simple, stupid. So what happened was that they eventually found out, this was part of the article. This wasn't the, he was giving it as an example of what goes on in an assembly plant, is that they found out that one of the line workers in the morning came in and because the plant was chilly, he was wearing a denim jacket with buttons on it, metal buttons and then at a certain time let's say well, well i don't remember what i would say 11 o'clock in the morning 10 o'clock in the morning whatever all right it got warmer in the plant and he would take the jacket off so what happened was that whatever task he was doing in the auto plant is that when he was wearing the jacket he was bending over the fender and not every car was getting scratched but they were getting some cars and unbeknownst to him he was bit that he didn't realize his button was scratching it so that's what the issue was there so they applied critical thinking and then what i what's happening now is that i want to apply critical thinking to this small engine ethanol uh debate and as another aside to this uh i for many many years and i still do for hemming's muscle machines but for many years i had uh columns in magazines q a columns where people would write a letter to me gm high tech performance high performance pontiac vet vet magazine hemming's muscle machine something else some other magazines whatever so it was a tech q a column and for many years and still today in hemming's muscle machines i do a column called ask ray is that you know you'd get these people write to me and and i'm saying this respectfully please i never ever mean to disrespect anyone but you get i used to get these people in the hot rod magazine in 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 the car enthusiast magazines and these people were i'm sure they were wonderful people but they were not mechanically inclined they liked the car whether it was a 69 gto or 72 roadrunner or a vet or whatever it was and they really knew nothing about it and and there was a whole there was a whole era of and it still goes on today but to a much lesser extent maybe they're afraid to write to me but there's a whole era that did nothing but blame ethanol based gasoline e10 
all right, for every malady that Carr had under the sun. So, and then also, so it became a, ethanol became a whipping boy within the industry. Ethanol enhanced gasoline. E10 became a whipping boy and anything under the sun, people claimed their cars burned up. This, I mean, eh, um, everything under the sun. The power window didn't work was because you had, you know, that lousy, crappy, new modern gas and everything. And, you know, I found that I, I took, a, I don't want to say took offense to that, but I wear many hats, and and you know, as a farmer, I support ethanol-based fuel. But I, I mean, I did shows on. I tell you the negative about it and the positive. But I support ethanol-based fuel as an environment, as a person who who wants to honor God's creation. I think ethanol-based fuel is good. All right, no, I, I support it. As a patriot, I support it because it's an American-based renewable energy and helps rural America. So there's lots of things I support on ethanol. I do support it. So I'm not going to candy coat it, but I mean, does it have less energy content? Yes. Is If you had E85, is it going to want a cold start at, start at 25 below zero? No. All right, so there's, there's things about it. All right, and I, I'm, I'm a straight shooter. I give you the straight deal. So it used to bother me, but then the engineer side of me, doesn't like to just paint everything with the same brush and just empirically that's no good they're no good you know what i'm saying and the thing is that you have to give me data you have to give me facts so i used to butt heads with these people in the car magazines because the fact is that i would say to them i meaning i ray bohax cat swamp road warren county new jersey have never had any issues with ethanol-based gas. And then would be a flood of letters. And I have to honestly say, matter of fact, I think in last month's uh, Hemmings Muscle Machines, I kind of even revisited the same thing because somebody wrote me a letter, is that if you would probably take 100 people, 100 people, and say 100 car enthusiasts, older car enthusiasts, and say, you know, have you had problem with ethanol-based gas when you are car, regardless of the brand, the year, whatever. I'm talking carbureted cars, not, you know, 85 vet with fuel injection. And probably added 100 people, 50, 50 of them would say they never had any problem whatsoever. And then the other 50 would tell you that, that, that you know, whatever, they got divorced because of the ethanol gas. So, so I come to the table with that, and I wanted to reveal that to you. So I like to have facts. I have I do, may do I do as an as an engineer as a technical person. You make decisions based upon facts, not on emotions. All right, and so with that all established. So now the other thing that I want to do is talk about before I move on with this. Talk about that is that. What Bruce's letter did was made me, as I said, rethink things, rethink things about ethanol. But what I want to do is before I get into that, because that's going to be the crux of it, I'm going to back, I'm going to back and go back into Bruce's letter in response to Gary Harrier's John Deere 318 tractor. And in case you didn't catch that show, the problem Gary was having with the tractor, when it sits for a while, it's hard to start the initial start once it gets going it's fine and he plows snow with it in the winter it seems he doesn't cut grass but i think he told me he had a newer john deere to cut grass because subsequently we communicated and so what i was giving him was possible scenarios based upon his letter of what would cause it to be hard starting on the initial start after it sat for a few weeks and he was feeling that the ethanol or the gasoline was evaporating out of the carburetor possibly it was a carburetor issue and so i went through it you could go back into the archives and listen to that i don't want to re waste everybody's time and re re um repeat everything from that show but what Gary had told me was that there was fuel in the flopo. Now, in, now, as far as I know, and I believe it was an O'Nan engine, if I had said Kohler, it was wrong. But as far as I know, that O'Nan engine, and when somebody contacts me like this, what I do, if I'm not intimate with that particular engine or that carburetor 
or what have you. I try to do some research on the internet for whatever that is worth, all right? But it's better enough because I'm not familiar with everything. Somebody was like, I wrote to me with an old Mercedes and the thing basically, so I had to look up that carburetor on there, what have you. I mean, I'm not intimate with that. I mean, an old Solex and a bug, I'm intimate, intimate because I had one, so whatever. But I'm intimate with how a carburetor works. So from what I was now, and from what Gary had told me is he took the top off the carburetor. Now, in in carburetor, and I'm gonna I'm not talking about like little carburetors on chainsaws on 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 traditional type of carburetors. The industry usually qualifies them under three different categories. There is either a multi piece carburetor, a two piece carburetor, or what they call a modular carburetor. So. When Gary told me that he took the top off the carburetor, and in carburetor language, the top would be considered the air horn, right? So if he took the top off the carburetor, that he said that there was gas in the float bowl. So I had told him, well, that's fine, but you really need to check the float level because, and the, I mean, the, not the, the float, the gas level is it is the float or did any of it evaporate out? Because if there was, if it evaporated out, then it would be harder for it to pull over into the main metering circuit. So I just want to address that. Now I'll give you an example of um, different types of carburetors. So a modular carburetor is basically, in essence, for the most part, what the Holly four barrels used to become be like in holly one barrel which was like a holly 1920 in an old slant six chrysler and they used those on some combines there used to be a neighbor had a case combine 73 case with a slant six in it but anyway so what a modular carburetor is is that you have your main casting which is usually your your carburetor throat and the main body they call it and then the metering block and so there would be a metering block and it would be a side uh, a side float bowl so the float bowl will attach to the metering block and attach to the main body so and they called it modular because what they would be able to do is that they could keep the main casting and they could change the metering block and the metering block which has the emulsion tubes or air bleeds in it or all those things that make it a carburetor they could change the calibration easily so those so so those were a side hung float bowl so in a float bowl like that all right, you would obviously not be able to take the float pole off and see the gasoline level, but from what my understanding and from what how Gary explained it to me is that this Onan engine did not have that type of carburetor, in the, and I did some research on that before I answered his question. Like I said, it went on the internet for whatever it's worth. I didn't have a model number, I mean, a carburetor number or an engine number, but to me, the carburetor that, and the way Gary described it, taking the, 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 um, the uh well he called it the top the actual proper name would be the air horn off is that it was what they would call a a two uh, a two-piece or multi-piece carburetor so and and like i said basically in essence it wasn't the modular carburetor so if you took the air horn off that the float ball was so it was a two-piece carburetor the float ball was integral into the main body and that carburetor that they showed the, the exploded view that the float was was hinged had had his fulcrum point in the float ball all right, not in the air horn, because there are some float, some carburetors that have the float suspended from the air horn. And then if you have that, you need to do a float drop and a float height adjustment. But if it's in the float bowl itself and the bowl was integral to the main body and the picture I saw, the exploded view, that that carburetor had a horseshoe style float. So it had two pontoons to it, which it kind of mimicked a lot like a, a early 1960s Carter carburetor. So when I saw that float bowl design, all right, Carter carburetor, they had that very, very popular in the 60s. So anyway, so the thing was that you can take the air horn off that carburetor and you would be able to see the level of the fuel in it, all right? So on that type of carburetor, so that is, but so that's a, a two-piece or multi-piece carburetor. And then 
what would happen is there's what they call a three-piece carburetor. So you have your air horn, your they would call it the main body, and they would have the throttle body underneath it. And those three pieces could come apart. So an, a Rochester Quadrajet is a three-piece carburetor. A Rochester 2G, a lot of Rochester carburetors with three-piece. Some Carter carburetors with three-piece. Some motorcraft carburetors with three-piece. So a three-piece carburetor means there's an air horn, there's a main body, and the throttle body. People think of the term throttle body with fuel injection. It was a throttle body before there was fuel injection. They call it throttle body fuel injection, and it came to be the throttle body with the throttle plates are. So that is what they call a three-piece carburetor. All right, usually a two-piece carburetor, multi-piece means that the float ball is integral into the main body and the air horn is the only thing that's not integral. And then you have a modular carburetor. So the thing is that, uh, so in this particular instance, if my research was correct, which may not have been, is that you are able to pull the air horn off this carburetor and see the fuel in a bowl. So whatever, but I mean, maybe I am wrong. All right, and in, and in regards to adjusting the valves, now I have not worked on one of those engines. So you know, Bruce is saying that you have to grind the valves. That the actual it, it almost it almost appears like the, the, the that the valves that the face of the valve wears over by the margin, and the valve starts to pull through in. I guess pull into through the cylinder into the, through the seat and, and then you would have to grind the tip. Not I'm not arguing that whatsoever. So I mean, if, if Bruce has experience with that, that's fine. I never had one of those engines apart to that level to adjust the valves on it in that in that particular way. So there's no no not, nothing what there. But all I was trying to emphasize in that is that you have to realize that the valve lash is going to impact the cranking vacuum on the engine and the cranking vacuum is going to influence how the carburetor pulls over into the main metering circuit and then allows it to start to pull fuel introduce fuels into into the uh, into the cylinder so it starts and runs so that was the impetus for that so to me if if the if you know uh like i said i'm not i don't i'm not experienced with that particular engine to that level uh about adjusting the valves on it but i knew that but every engine if it has a solid a non-hydraulic lifter tap it whatever you want to call it by different names is there's going to be some way to adjust the valves and that's why you know anything that any any advice that i give unless and i'll tell you i'll be honest with you say look i'm intimate with that carburetor i'm intimate with that cell now this is what you need to do if not it's just it's theoretical as far as its operating is concerned and anything that i say in this show or my radio show is never meant to supersede the shop manual i mean so i'm the first one to say go to the shop manual look how they want you to adjust the valves all right so the thing is that you have some i mean you know in some jaguars you have to put shims in there so uh so whatever but that the, but you're still adjusting the valve so so i want to thank you bruce for enlightening us about that that you have to grind the valves <clears throat> on that particular engine and, and maybe there's another own in engine you don't have to grind the valves but obviously like i said bruce is certainly an accomplished respected mechanic and he uh, has experience with that all right so now all right so now we put that we we, we covered that and uh so now we're going to tackle the ethanol and the gasoline so in essence what's happening now is that bruce's note to me made me start to rethink my stand on this because my stand on ethanol in two-stroke i don't want to say two-stroke and small engines let's put it that way in small engines with carburetors may be faulty so now here it is you have you have bruce an experienced man in the field and he had these instances with his steel chainsaws and some other engines and he switched over to non-ethanol gasoline and i think he said 10 years ago or something and he's had zero problems i mean that's 100 percent valid all right you can't you can't argue that whatsoever i mean the guys he that i mean he did this before and he had this problem and he you know fixed it and and i mean so that's a hundred hundred ten percent valid 
but then the flip side of it, which is which which, which was the catalyst to make me to think about it, which is the flip side, is that I've had the exact opposite experience. I've had zero issues. Matter of fact, in 1985, I bought in for my family. I bought a new John Deere. It was a 116. I think I said in the other show, 216. 116 lawn tractor with a two-cylinder Briggs. Great. I, I believe I bought an 85, but I believe it was, I, I think I bought an 86. I believe it was 85 model. Yep. It was made in Horicon, Wisconsin. I remember it was Memorial Day weekend. So, you know, back then they didn't tell you, I mean, whatever is a leftover, who knows, it was brand new. But when I checked the serial number, I think it was a, built in 80, 85, and I bought it in 86. So, anyway, and I kept that lawn tractor until 2009. And the only reason why I got rid of that lawn tractor was that you, it was hard to get parts for it. The engine was 100% fine, but the mower deck, it had a PTO clutch, which was great. And, uh, but that went bad and you had to, and even though you went to John Deere to get parts for it, what would happen is that nothing was a direct fit anymore. It was a retrofit and you had to cut this and cut a keyway and file this and I had to rewire everything. So it got to be more of a, of a restoration than as than than a repair and i said to myself look i i love this lawn tractor i mean i waxed it i i loved it all right i was so proud of it i was a young guy i bought it i was working for allen test proxy oscilloscope manufacturer and i was going to buy that or a ford i think yt16 and because the ford had a color engine and oil filter i thought that was cool but anyway but i was a young guy and loved that lawn tractor but so you figure from 1986 86 and 86 to to 2009 i kept that tractor in service now let's back up in 1986 we didn't have ethanol in the gasoline here but probably for the past 20 years so or 21 years we've had nothing but e10 in new jersey so let's say from about 2000 20 years from back from today so let's say from around 2000 nothing but e10 they did away with mtbe as an oxygenate which is methyl tertiary butyl ether because it's it's a terrible for actually it was on 60 minutes it was a gas station about 15 miles east of here that had the first mtbe lace gas leak into the groundwater so anyway so i had this john deere and I had it done, and, and when I when I parked it in 2009, I didn't park it because of the engine. I parked it because of the mower deck. All right, so uh, the thing is that you couldn't get the belt. You could like whatever I said. I'm gonna repeat. It was just it got to be. Yeah, you eventually got it going, but instead of replacing a part, you spent three weeks do, doing it to make it fit. So, and I bought an MTD from Tractor Supply. My father was dying at the time. I didn't want to get cancer. I didn't want to buy another John Deere. I just didn't want to spend that much money at that particular point. Just wanted to get the grass cut. He was in and out of the hospital with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I was taking care of him. And it was, I wasn't going to make love to it like I did the deer. All right. But anyway, the take-home message is here from 1986 to the day I parked that John Deere, I have no, and, and so 2009, so let's say arguably, we got ethanol E10 in 1999, so 10 years of nothing but E10 inside through that John Deere, I have no idea what that carburetor looks like, I had no idea, never ever took that carburetor apart, the thing ran beautifully, all right, so, the so, you know, so that's the other side of the aisle, now, I had uh, a uh, Poulin chainsaw that my wife had bought me for my birthday. I loved that chainsaw. I forgot what model it was. That thing was fantastic. I mean, you'd look at the rope, it would start. Or would you look at I mean, really, my friend had a steel. He had a big steel. He just come, rrr, rrr, I think I forgot what, what, 44 or 66, I think it was. Be pulling that thing for 12. I, I mean, I'd let that, and you know, when I say took no care of it, I'm in a hot rod farmer, I took care of it, but I didn't drain the gas out. I didn't do anything to it. All right, and had zero, zero problems. And then subsequently, weed whackers, a four-stroke weed whacker, two-stroke weed whacker, pressure washers, lawn mowers, what have you, had zero problems. So now we have two conflicts. All right, we have we have a reputable person, Bruce, telling us that, telling me that he's had these issues. All right, and then I said, well, geez, I never had these issues. 
all right and the same token i have friends in california that were out on the west coast and they drive old cars because they don't rust and they put in california gas is completely different than new jersey gas and they run these cars and have no issues and they use they go to walmart and put modern oil in them and have no issues and then you have other people tell you the cams go flat from the oil and what have you so so that is the impetus in bruce's letter that really had me start to think and say man you know am i giving my audience bad information what's going on here all right and then so i started to apply some uh i started to do a differential diagnosis it's okay bruce valid okay all these problems he's valid did away with the ethanol gas ethanol gasoline zero problem valid can't deny it excuse me ray valid john Deere lawn tractor 24 years never had the carburetor part all right chainsaws weed whackers valid nothing but an e10 so then i said well there has to be something going on here because because you have you have completely different different results so what i started to think about after i got bruce's letter when i was walking around the truck stop having my coffee in the morning i said this 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 i mean he's valid bruce is right and it's not a matter of who's right or who's wrong because it's not it's it's two different experiences but there has to be an engineering reason why why these experiences are polar opposite it's not like you know well i like sausage on my pizza and you like anchovies all right so it's not one of those deals these are these are valid things here so i said so i started to think about it and i said that the two stroke engines that i had you have to put oil in them obviously right and what i always did was i always bought the oil the two-stroke oil the two-stroke fuel oil right that you put in the two-stroke oil i guess they call it right uh, from the manufacturer so when i have a steel saw steel piece of equipment i use the steel they use 50 to one the other stuff was using 40 to one when i had my pool and saw i bought pool and oil to put in it now you may say well that doesn't make well it's a data point because when you, when you, as an engineer, as a researcher, as a diagnostician, you can't discount anything. So now, was it the fact that I'm using the steel, and maybe Bruce is using the steel oil on his saws? And you know, so is it because I've been using the steel two-stroke oil that maybe has some sort of conditioner or something in it? And I used my pool in, I used a pool in oil, and my Cub Cadet, I used the Cub Cadet oil for that who knows i mean so that's a data point and i can't say and maybe that was the difference the other thing basically is that i realized so that's only the two strokes the four strokes the the lawn tractor the lawnmower the pressure washer all right all those other things um the rototiller that those are four strokes so that doesn't count for it so now now with my four stroke engines that i've had zero issue with we'll use the john deere the 116 is the reference right 24 years with no with no issues is that uh that the thing is that predominantly i would run shell gasoline in there and i'm not saying I'm not this is not a i'm not saying anything you know good bad or indifferent about shell and why i would run shell gasoline is because there's a shell station about a little bit more than a mile from the farm so it'd be very convenient for me to go get five gallons of gas and run the shell fuel in it all right so sometimes there was a there was a hess station in hackettstown that i would buy fuel at which became a speedway which is marathon oil but then it became a speedway a couple years ago but i would say 99 percent of the time the two stroke engines and the four stroke engines ran shell gasoline because that that gas station has been there since i was a kid all right so ran shell gasoline for its convenience gave it no thought the other element of it that is a data point is that bruce lives up in new england i believe he lives in new hampshire but i may be wrong i don't think it's, it's either rhode island or new hampshire for some reason i get those states confused right some patriot i get those confused but anyway so he lives up there and i live in new jersey now the fact of the matter is that bruce obviously is only using new hampshire we'll say he lives in new hampshire gasoline he's not going to oklahoma to buy five gallons of gas for his lawn tractor 
or a gallon of gas for his chainsaw. He's not going to New York State to buy it. He's buying gas locally for that. So the thing is that, so that comes into play. So now, what? so you say, well, what difference does that make, Hot Rod? It's E10. Well, I've said this before on the show, and, and I'm only putting this together as conjecture because there has to be a reason why some people have issues and some people don't have issues. And because Bruce is so knowledgeable that I'm putting a thousand percent validity in his issues, whereas the car people, when they used to write to me and said, "Well, my mechanic told me that the carburetor is no good, the gas is screwing it all up." I mean, that guy didn't know. I mean, this no disrespect. I mean, he was just parroting what his mechanic told him. All right, but Bruce is the mechanic, <laughs> so so uh, so he's having valid issues. So the thing is that. What I'm starting, and that is boutique gasolines. And what boutique gasolines means is that even though it has ethanol in it, is that it is a blend for a particular region. And that is usually mandated by the EPA or what, or usually by the EPA, but there may be certain elements of it. I remember years ago as a kid, we were going out west, and I haven't been that way for a long time on I 80, but in I 80 in Wyoming, Sinclair used to have a refinery. And he used to say, Rocky Mountain blend gasoline, gasoline blended for the Rocky Mountains. And I say, wow, this special gasoline for the Rocky Mountains. So the thing, so now that I that I walked you all around this is that, and what I am coming to 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 some loose conclusion is that I'm trying to establish, and 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 let me add another data point to this is that for the most part the people here in new jersey i don't you'll have some people who complain about ethanol-based gasoline in their small engines but historically that is a person that does not have any engine knowledge mechanical knowledge whatever they live in town they have a lawnmower uh they cut their own grass but the guy knows nothing about he wouldn't know a connecting rod from a from from a accelerator pump whatsoever and then he usually doesn't take care of the equipment and then and then he brings it to a mower shop and they tell him he needs this and this and that and they sell him 20 dollars a gallon canned gasoline and it's all fine so i'm taking that i'm taking those people respectfully out of the equation but looking back at what I'm saying with my car magazines, where I have people, I said, you know, get 100 people, 100 people have zero problems. I mean, 100 people, 50 will have problems, and 50 won't have problems. So there has to be some dynamics going on there. So what I tend to think, and I'm putting this out to everybody in my audience, I have a, a, everyone in my audience throughout the world, educate me. But the only conclusion that I think that I could come up with is that and you, I mean, it's going to be Bruce's experience versus mine, all right? So uh, as far as two different things, you know, his died, mine didn't die, right? <laughs> Something's going on here. The things that I would tend to think that the composition of the gasoline that is in New England where Bruce is buying his gas for his small engines is different than the gasoline that I am getting in New Jersey because that is the only thing that makes sense because when Briggs and Stratton builds the engine when Steel builds the chainsaw they'll go I was sending this thing to New Hampshire uh, let's put let's let's put the diaphragm in there that's gonna suck that's gonna fall apart with with E10 and hey we're sending this thing to New Jersey and they watch the Sopranos and they're afraid that some guy from New Jersey is gonna you know come after him and put him give him you'll have him f swimming with the fish because the diaphragm went bad I mean that's obviously not happening right so the thing is that the only common denominator would be number one the only thing that i could say well let me back up the the data point is probably the best word for me to say is that there must be chemically something different in the composition of the gasoline that is impacting those engines more than the composition of the gasoline in new jersey of course like my friend al longenecker he has a couple old bmw motorcycles from 1981 82 um 
I think was a dual sport. The thing's got almost 200,000 miles on it. He runs E10 in it. I have friends of mine or acquaintances that are in the logging business. They run their chainsaws on pump gas and they're all steel chainsaws, zero issues. I have friends that are landscapers. They run everything on. They go to the gas station, fill it up, whether it's two stroke or four stroke, they run it on pump gas. So the only, the only thing that I could see here is that the gasoline must be different, all right? There's something in it that's affecting it more and then, than it is here in New Jersey. And so that would be on the two-stroke, four-stroke side. And the only other thing that I could possibly say, and Bruce, when you listen to this, please reach out to me, all right? And uh, the thing is that maybe because I'm using the branded two-stroke oil, I mean, is there something in there? I mean, I looked at the, you know, I looked at the the, uh, the bottle for the steel two-stroke oil. It's, I, it says it's synthetic, and I think it it may say something on it where it kind of preserves the fuel. But we're not talking about preservation of fuel. We're talking about the ethanol attacking it. So to answer the question is, I do not know. So I have a newfound respect for people who've had issues with ethanol-based gasoline. And I was pompous in my, in, my, in my attitude because I never had any issues. But the thing is that I also only have used New Jersey gas. And if somebody contacts me and they're from Montana or they're from California, but you know, then the thing is that you know it may be possible that they're having an issue now. When it comes back to the car thing or the you know antique tractor thing or whatever, especially the car community, I would say that the collector car community, that, and I'm saying it respectfully, seventy five percent of those people don't know anything about it. They just think they really they like that car and they bought it, and that's basically it. So, like I said, I'm going to take them out of the equation, but. So I'm putting this out to my audience. I'm putting this back out to Bruce. I'm putting it back out to Gary. All right, and everybody else out there. Are you seeing problems in with ethanol-based fuel in carbureted small engines, either two-stroke or four-stroke, or having problems with the two-stroke but not the four-stroke or vice versa? Or are you have are you having zero issues like we are here in New Jersey? And so I don't know what the answer is, but I do know, I do want to add another data point to this before I close. No toolbox test today, no reader's letter. This is the reader's letter. Is that uh, readers, I always say it because I'm so entrenched in the magazine for so many years writing for magazines. I call them readers, it's listeners' letters. I apologize for that. So anyway, but the fact of, you know, the fact of the matter is coming from the auto industry. Now I know what the auto industry does is they go and they when they're doing road testing of vehicles that they will buy gas at the facility that they'll have at the engineering facility they'll buy it three four five thousand gallons at a time so they'll have like a mini gas station there and they'll buy whatever a load of gas or half a load five thousand gallons whatever at a time and they'll do testing on that gas all right to find out the ethanol content, everything in it, the octane on it, they'll send it to a laboratory and test it. And then during those test protocols, they will run that gas only. And when they're doing calibrations, they I forgot the name of the fuel, not a brand name, what they call it. I mean, the fuel that they used when during emissions calibrations and emissions testing or whatever, it, I think it's like 40 or $50 a gallon because they can't have it skewed excuse me now it's very very possible that some of the gasoline that you're getting in different parts of the country has a higher ethanol content than we're getting here in new jersey now this is e10 uh supposedly it's e10 and the thing is i'm going by the sticker right e10 but the uh because the federal clean air act dictates that this area has e10 but maybe we're getting E10 and other parts of the country getting E11, E12, E13, and maybe that extra 3% is what's skewing it. I honestly don't know. Now, years ago, they, uh, 
it was OTC Company, which sadly I don't think they're in business anymore. Somebody bought them. They actually used to sell them, and they're probably other ones out there that, that uh, an inexpensive ethanol test kit. To the well, they didn't call it ethanol, they called it alcohol test kit because, like, back in the early 80s, there was a lot of issue. Chrysler had a lot of issues with the 2.2 liter Chryslers, uh, with, with higher than higher than there was supposed to be ethanol content in the gasoline. So, I do not know the answer. So, the thing basically is, is that I will say that you know, if you're having problems with that, reach out to me at Hot Rod Farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. It's hard for me to believe that a company, Briggs & Stratton, Steel, Cola, Honda, whatever, doesn't have the wherewithal to build a carburetor with components that can that, that will live under E10 or E11 without any issues. That's hard for me to believe. All right, so I'm sure they don't want issues. But now if their components are good to E10 and you're getting E12 or E13 and it's starting that degradation and starting those problems, well, like I said, that's that's definitely valid. So reach out to me because honestly, the people, my scope of people here that work with farm equipment, work working guys with chainsaws, landscapers, what have you, uh, you know, masons that are using, you know, gasoline power tamping machines are not having an issue. And these guys, for the most part, aren't, uh, you know, fastidious with their maintenance. So the thing is that they're not having issues. And, you know, people here with older cars are not having issues. So I really don't know, I really don't know what it is. So I think that it's, uh, I think it's great that we opened up this dialogue and uh, I'm hoping that you all do reach out to me, Hot Rod Farmer at FarmMachineryDigest.com. And then also, if you do, please, if you can, just separate uh, your two-stroke engines from your four-stroke engines and say, well, I'm using, you know, this this two-stroke oil and this, and predominantly this brand of gasoline uh, in my you know, in that, and I'm having, I'm having problems, or I'm not having problems, what have you, because I would really like to get to the bottom of this, because there is an answer here, so there is an answer, it's not the voodoo, it's not magic, there is an answer, and since it's, you know, one of those things where, you know, as I get ready to close, is that my dad, God rest his soul, we have an apple orchard, well, it's, it's all, sadly, it's all, the trees are all die, dead now, uh, over the years, they well, my my family bought the farm in 1954, and they were there then. All right, so these poor trees were 100 years old, but for many many years, they gave the greatest of of apples. And and anyway, so like 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 a lot of farmsteads is that we'd have poison ivy. My dad, God rest his soul, if the wind blew, if the wind blew, I mean, he would get poison ivy terribly. You know, before I bought that John Deere 116 lawn tractor, I used to cut, it was about two acres, eh, maybe an acre and a half, uh, it probably was two acres back then, uh, with a push mower. It was an old, uh, uh, I forgot the name of it. I, I did it in one of, I spoke about it in one of my blogs. But anyway, uh, it was a, uh, I forgot what it was, push mower, three and a half horsepower Briggs with points and a carburetor. And back then it was 20 years old when I was a kid. All right, because you know we didn't we. If my father bought something new, we kept it till forget about it. And I used to, you know, I I wasn't fat like I am now, and I used to cut the grass with my shirt off, and the poison ivy would go on my back, and I'd never got poison ivy in my life. So the reason why I'm telling you that is that my dad, the, you would go like this and blow across the leaf, and he'd be running to the house, and by the time he got to the house, he'd have poison ivy. I'd have it all over me. I could practically bathe in it and, and roll around there and never get poison ivy. I had a dog, Wendy. Wendy would go into poison ivy. My dad would touch her, pet her, and 10 minutes later, he had poison ivy. Me, I would forget about it. So, you know, that's, that's two human beings, the difference in the body chemistry. It's not the same as gasoline. But obviously, there's something going on. So I want to uh, I want to try to get a little bit more definition to this if we possibly can, but I need your help. So as we get ready to close today, I want to thank you for listening, Bruce. I want to thank you so much for educating me 
on that engine about grinding the valves. I want to thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge and your experience with the uh, ethanol-based gas. And I hope and I uh, and I appreciate the opportunity to all, all of you for allowing me the opportunity to tell you I got no issues. I mean, even that. I mean, even that. <laughs> just another data point, right? That that 2009 MTD had a 16 or may 18 horsepower I remember had a briggs and stratton that in it wasn't the intech maybe it was that that thing was fantastic that engine was beautiful then again the mower deck and the thing was junk so from 2009 and in 2017 i bought a new john deere d110 only because the mower deck was junk was falling apart on the on the, on the mtd I, I love that little MTD, but that Briggs motor ran beautifully. So that was, you figure, that was eight years with nothing but E10, nothing, no fuel stable. And boom, I'd let that thing sit all winter in the shed. I would go in there, I'd pull a choke out, I'd crank it. I don't think the crankshaft turned 360 degrees and boom, she'd start right up and run. No fuel stabilizer, nothing whatsoever. My John Deere D110, it's a 2017, so it's four, year old, four, year, four years old now. I put it in the shed for the winter, pull a choke out, start, boom, she starts right up. I mean, that never misses a beat. So there, there's, some, there's something going on there, and I would tend to think it's the composition of the boutique gasoline that other people are getting, and I would tend to think, but I may be wrong, that it has a higher ethanol content, even though it is supposed to be just E10, that has a higher ethanol content than what I'm getting here in New Jersey. But who knows? So as soon as i find out more i will let you know this is going to be an ongoing dialogue then again i want to thank you gary for writing the letter i want to thank you bruce for educating me and i and i ask everybody else to share with not only with me with my audience your experience but it has to be factual based not oh, this sucks <laughs> like that like i get in the car magazines i need data what's happening with on your end and i i thank you for that so listen let me uh let you get going i went kind of long different type of show today but know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved america thank you so much for listening i am so grateful for every one of you in the audience you have a blessed day and be well bye bye <laughs>